How much money would it take for you to sell out your country? Hopefully, the answer would be that no amount of money could cause you to betray your values, your country, and your countrymen. Unfortunately, there are some people who are willing to do this. People like John Walker Jr. of the U.S. Navy. John Walker Jr. has been described by some as America's most notorious naval spy. In fact, they say that the full extent and damage of his betrayal of U.S. intelligence to the Soviets is hard to determine. But for almost two decades in the late 1900s, Walker sold out his country while making over one million dollars. Apparently, that was the price it took for him to become a traitor. During that time, the information he gave the Soviets allowed them to decipher over one million coded U.S. naval messages. He gave them intel on U.S. operations, spy satellites, nuclear missile codes, and much more. After almost 20 years of continued treason, along with recruiting his own brother and son as accomplices, Walker was finally arrested. The judge at his trial said to him, Your motive was pure greed, and you were paid handsomely for your traitorous acts. I look in vain for some redeeming aspect of your character. But on his part, Walker thought quite highly of himself, saying that he was a good worker for both governments, and that his efforts simply helped prevent possible war. Of course, one former KGB operative said that because of all the info Walker gave them, if there had been a war, the Soviets would have won. Look, down through history, traitors have been found in every country. When we think of traitors to our own country, we're often filled with anger, disdain, even hatred for them. We see them as enemies, and we tend to hate our enemies, don't we? But Jesus called his followers to something different than hatred. He called us to love even those who hurt us. And the incredible thing is that Jesus didn't just call us to that, he demonstrated it. Which is what we're going to see as we turn together to John chapter 13, beginning in verse 18 this morning. John chapter 13. As we do, we're going to encounter the most notorious traitor of all time. A man who for far less money than John Walker Jr., sold out someone far greater than the United States of America or anyone in it. That traitor was Judas Iscariot. The one he betrayed was Jesus, the eternal Son of God, and Judas did it for 30 pieces of silver. But as we focus on Jesus, we're going to see incredible love together this morning. Now, as a brief recap, when we were last in the book of John together, we found that Jesus was with his 12 disciples eating the Passover meal together. Eleven of his disciples still struggled to understand that this was their last supper before Jesus would be put to death on a cross. But Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. And knowing all that was about to happen, Jesus got up during the meal and washed the feet of his disciples, all twelve of them. As he did, he said to Peter, You are clean, though not every one of you. The unclean one in the room, the one with an unrepentant heart and unsaved soul, was Judas Iscariot. Let's pick up together in verse 18. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, 
so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Jesus Jesus didn't want the disciples to be caught off guard or to think that he was caught off guard. As Jesus had told them before, he was going to lay his life down willingly. No one could deceive Jesus. No one could take his life before the appointed time. No amount of cunning could prevent Jesus from knowing all that was about to take place. Just as Jesus knew the hearts of his 11 disciples, who were still young in their faith, he also knew the heart of Judas Iscariot, who had no faith. Jesus quoted the words of David from Psalm 41, verse 9, He who shared my bread has turned against me. David knew what it was to be betrayed. He was betrayed by one of his own sons, by a trusted advisor. But the betrayal Jesus faced ran far deeper. Because not only did Jesus know it was coming and know who would betray him, but despite this, Jesus still gave Judas every opportunity to enter into faith. But unlike the eleven disciples, Judas had never accepted Jesus, never believed in him as the eternal Son of God and Savior. Judas willingly followed Jesus, but clearly for all the wrong reasons. No wonder why the Lord was troubled in spirit. Here was Judas, who saw Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, silence critics, teach unlike anyone ever before, and live a perfect life. When Jesus sent the disciples out with authority to cast out demons and perform miracles in Mark chapter 6, Judas was right there with them, doing these things in Jesus' name. Yet, despite all this, Judas was enthralled with the things of the world. When following Jesus didn't seem profitable to him anymore, he decided to cut his losses, make a deal for 30 silver coins, and betray Jesus. So Jesus was troubled. Understand the heart of our loving God, who is always troubled when people resist him, knowing that in doing so, they are rejecting the forgiveness and salvation that he offers. As we are told in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And we get a glimpse of that patience right here. Jesus knew exactly who was going to betray him. But notice what Jesus said. He said, one of you is going to betray me. He didn't say Judas' name. Isn't that, isn't that curious? If he did say Judas' name, I, I bet the eleven disciples would have taken justice into their own hands against Judas. So, why didn't he? Why didn't Jesus say Judas' name? Why did he just say, one of you is going to betray me? Well, first, Jesus didn't need to be rescued by the disciples. In fact, one disciple would later make a poor rescue attempt when Jesus was being arrested, and Jesus turned to him and said in Matthew chapter 26, Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? No, Jesus was willingly going to lay his life down. He didn't need to be rescued. 
But second, I believe Jesus did not say Judas' name because he was giving Judas every opportunity to lay aside this plan and come to him in faith. That's what Jesus was doing when he simply said, one of you is going to betray me. And when he said it, you can almost imagine the dead silence that came over the room. Judas was probably trying to hide the beads of sweat dripping down his face, but he clearly didn't need to. Jesus already knew it was him, and the rest of the disciples were clueless. Judas' facade had at least worked on the eleven disciples. Matthew chapter 26 tells us that it was at this point that the disciples began to question Jesus, and each of them asked him individually if he was talking about themselves. They were the ones who loved and had accepted Jesus. They were terrified that they might be that fool to betray him. And to keep up his charade, Matthew tells us that Judas Iscariot joined that chorus of asking Jesus, saying, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Look at verse 23. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Let's pause right here. Jesus spoke these words to this disciple whom he loved which was the disciple John. These words were most likely not heard by everyone, but Jesus handing the bread to Judas would have been seen by everyone. In a meal like this, when the host dipped the bread and handed it to somebody, it was considered a symbol of affection. It was a symbol of friendship. It was a token of honor. Judas would have known that. Jesus extended this invitation to Judas, a chance to come to his senses. And at this point, we have to ask, Why? Why? Why would Jesus go to all these lengths for Judas despite knowing what was going to happen, knowing what Judas was going to do? Why? And I suppose the answer is as simple as it is hard to comprehend. It's because Jesus loved him. He loved him and wanted Judas to come to him in faith. And he gave Judas countless opportunities to do that. Judas was an enemy of Jesus, and Jesus loved him. But is that really surprising to us? It's not surprising when you remember that famous verse in John, which is not just the most famous verse in John, but perhaps all of Scripture, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's not surprising when you think of the fact that while Jesus hung on the cross and his enemies stood by taunting him, Jesus cried out and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus loved his enemies, even Judas. And Jesus loved Judas even though he knew what would happen next. Even though he knew when Judas reached out and took that bread, there would be no change in Judas' heart. Let's see that together. Look at verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, 
what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. It wasn't just dark outside when Judas went to collect his bounty, but his very heart and soul were as black as the night. Judas freely chose Satan over the Son of God. He chose 30 pieces of silver over eternal salvation. And Judas was now walking hand in hand with the one he had chosen, and that was the devil. I cannot imagine the pain of that betrayal, the grief the Lord had over Judas' unrepentant heart. Yet, Jesus loved him till the end and desired Judas to be saved. So, believers, when Jesus commanded us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, remember that Jesus demonstrated that type of love. When we feel that our enemies are hopeless, that their attacks on us are too devious, that they are beyond saving, remember that Jesus loved Judas and gave him every opportunity. We need to love those who hurt us, even when they choose to be our continual enemy. We need to love them, and we need to pray for their salvation. We've been commanded to love them. But it isn't just our enemies we've been commanded to love. Let's keep going in John chapter 13. Look at verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. In light of loving our enemies, loving our fellow Christians should be a piece of cake, right? Jesus lays this love forth as a distinguishing mark of Christianity, that we would love one another. So, why is there so much division in churches today? Why does gossip more easily flow from the mouths of many Christians than the gospel? Loving our fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ, should be one of the simplest things. But often it isn't. Because we're still imperfect. We hurt one another with our words, our actions, and we're slow to forgive, so we're slow to love one another. So Jesus gave the command to love one another. And, and I know that there are some who might say, but Andrew, you, you don't understand how Christians have hurt me. And you don't know the way that churches have treated me in the past. And maybe that's true. But Jesus knows all about your hurts. He also knows what it is to be hurt by not only an enemy like Judas, but to be hurt by a friend, a disciple, by a citizen of heaven, and a recipient of salvation. Look at verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. 
Oh, Peter. Peter, Peter loved the Lord. He really did. In this moment, Peter meant every word that he spoke. But shortly after this, he would deny three times before people that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. Matthew's gospel tells us that at that time, when a servant girl said to the people that Peter had been with Jesus, Peter said, I don't know the man. Here, Jesus was having this final time with his disciples. He had given every opportunity for his enemy Judas to turn from his wicked plan and enter true and eternal fellowship with God, yet Judas rejected him. Left alone now with his true followers, Jesus looks to the coming hour when even his most outspoken follower would most loudly deny him. Christian, you may have felt the sting of fellow believers acting unkindly towards you. You may have been hurt by a church. You may have experienced all sorts of wrongs, but a new command we were given, and that is to love one another as Jesus loved. I can't wait for us to get to the end of the book of John. Don't misunderstand. I'm looking forward to every chapter and every verse, but I can't wait for us to get to the end after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, after Peter's denial of the Lord, and we see at the end how the Lord still loved on Peter. The Lord loves his imperfect people, so his grace and forgiveness abound towards us. In the same way, we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We will all make mistakes, sin, and even hurt each other at times, yet we are to love one another as Christ did. One pastor said that two ways we demonstrate that love towards each other is first, to seek forgiveness when we wrong our fellow believers, And second, to grant forgiveness to our fellow believers when they wrong us. Believers, Jesus demonstrated the type of love we are supposed to show. Even when his own disciple would be caught up in fear and lie and deny him, Jesus still loved Peter. Forgiveness was available to Peter. And as Jesus loved and forgave, so we ought to love one another. Believers, Jesus loved his enemy Judas. Judas willingly set himself up as the Lord's enemy. He was cold, calculating, and deliberate in his betrayal, yet Jesus loved him to the end. Jesus loved his friend and follower, Peter. Although Peter would get caught up in folly and deny the Lord three times, yet Jesus loved him and would forgive him. Sometimes loving others is hard, especially when they hurt us. We expect our enemies to hurt us. Jesus commands us to love them anyways. We may not expect our fellow believers to hurt us, but as imperfect people, this still happens. Jesus commands us to love one another regardless. By this, the world will know that we are his disciples. So the question, believers, is, is this love present in our lives? And is it present not just when things are good, but when things are difficult to love others? Believers, when it's hard to follow these commands from the Lord, I want to give this to you as an encouragement. Remember this. We are to love the unlovable, remembering that Jesus loves us when we are unlovable. We are to love the unlovable, remembering that Jesus loves us when we are unlovable. Let me explain what I mean with an example from my own life. On many occasions... When I have thought to myself, Lord, this person is just so, so difficult. They're just so frustrating. They're so hard to love. 
Before I can even finish the thought, many times I have quickly found the Lord saying to my soul, but Andrew, don't I love you when you're stubborn and when you're resistant and when you chase sin as though its promises are better than mine? I still love you. And in that conviction, I find great strength. So church, let's love one another. Let's love even those who hurt us because this is what we've been called to. If you are joining us and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you have never put your faith in Him, I just want to leave you with the truth about His love for you. First, you need to understand that if Jesus is not your Savior, you are not a child of God. You are not a friend of God. The Bible describes you as an enemy of God. And the Bible says that the just punishment for your sin and your lack of belief is that you will be separated forever from God in a place of torment called hell. But listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. It tells us this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friend, understand that although you have sinned against a holy God, although you have set yourself up as his enemy, he loves you. And he loves you so much that Jesus Christ came and died for you. He died to take the payment and penalty and punishment for your sins that are separating you from God. And Jesus, he did not stay in the grave, but he rose powerfully from the dead, proving that he is who he said he is. He's the Savior, he's the Son of God, and he's the only one who can forgive us of our sins. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friend, please understand this morning that God loves you. That his offer of forgiveness and salvation are available. He's extending these things to you. And I pray that you will not reject that invitation the way that Judas did. Judas is paying for all eternity right now for his lack of belief and for his sins. Eternity is a very long time, friend. So I pray that you will think seriously on these things. But if you are ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you already reach out and accept that offer of forgiveness and salvation, you can do that right now. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's you, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, you can do it no matter where you are right now. No matter where you are in life, no matter where you are physically, whether you're here in our sanctuary, whether you're listening online or on the radio, you can go to Jesus Christ in prayer and admit to him that you know that you are a sinner but that you know he died on the cross for you. That you believe he didn't stay in the grave, but that he rose from the dead. And you can give him your life. And you can ask him for the forgiveness of your sins, and he will forgive you and save you. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And friend, I pray that you would make that decision. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for loving us I thank you that you would love us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Thank you that while he was here, Jesus demonstrated what true love looks like, what it is to love our enemies, what it is to love believers when they're difficult. Father, sometimes that's hard for us. I pray that you would give us the strength to love even those who hurt us. 
Help us to love one another so that we could show the world that we are your people. We pray that as they see these things, we'd have the opportunity to share the gospel with others, to share with them that great news about how much you love them. We pray that in all these things you would be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.